What drew you to Scientology? What drew me to it, it was so practical, and it just made sense to me, and things that, uh, that I wanted to figure out my life. And uh, I always, I, it, what I discovered were the tools that helped me. You know, Scientology, the word means knowing how to know. And there are tools that I use every day as an artist, as, as a businessman. Uh, you know, you look at it just this way. I was diagnosed as being dyslexic. I came in, learned these tools, and now I, you know, I mean, my literacy is, it'll, it is where it is, and it'll go where I want it to go. <laughs> Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you listen to the Sick and Wrong. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. Scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, E. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Uh, I'm on a bit of a hangover, but I will crack open into the wine soon, so I shall perk up. Hair of the dog. You got to get back Hair on the sauce. Hair of the dog always sauce. works. It always works. I was, I've just decided I'm staying drunk now. I was, you know, feeling guilty ever since I've not been at work and I've been like clearing the house and I've been drinking a lot and I was like, I really need to curb my booze. But then I was like, do you know what? This is my last couple of weeks in England and I might as well, <laughs> might as well spend them how I've lived them <laughs> drunk. Yeah, why not? I mean, isn't that what English people do? Or at least what English people do well is they drink. It is. Well, I mean, you can't say we do it well, but we do do it well, especially abroad. Great <laughs> Especially abroad. abroad. Well, yeah, we don't have a reputation at all. <laughs> well, I will be getting drunk with some English people in uh, less than a week in Camden. Looking forward to that. You will. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's like sort of full circle. Like we did our first meetup there like so many years ago. I think I was like on the way back from Berlin. I don't even remember who I was dating at the time. And then we just kind of like, we were in England for, we had like a layover for almost like 24 hours. So I just tweeted out like, hey, we're going to be, you know, in London, where should we go? And then someone's like, go to the world's end. I was like, all right. And so we kind of figured out how to get there from whatever hotel we were staying at. And uh, I'm sure we have several listeners who attended that first meetup. It was, it was sloppy. It was messy. Got really drunk. Yeah. It's going to be like that again, but I really want to go to the cemetery the next day, so you do have to just make sure. Just just tell me to chill out, although yeah, you never we, do. We can't get too crazy. I, I'll try to rein you in, but... Oof. I don't want to lose my hat like I did in the rainbow. Like, I, you know that hat? I still think about that hat at least once a day that I lost when we went out drinking with Jerry Blue. Do you know what I worked out? Why I got so, like, absolutely hammered that night is because I was drinking, drinking gin and tonics, right? Yeah. But the gin and tonics over here, they give you, like, a mess load of tonic. So it's like a long drink. But in the rainbow, they give you a shot of gin and a shot of tonic. So I was just knocking them back. So that's how I ended up absolutely blackout. Rainbow g does give you heavy pours, that's for sure. Especially when it's not that busy. And we were there on like a Sunday. Wasn't that busy. And I, yeah. I think we were with Jerry Blue and he was he was tipping pretty well. So Looking. I think they were, yeah, I think they were just like, yeah. oh, we're going to give you three quarters gin and a splash of tonic. And that's how I got absolutely wasted. And I can't remember... I can't really remember much, like even how we left or how we got home. But I do know that I lost my favorite black velvet vintage beret. 
that was handmade. And Wait I'll a second. You don't remember again. hiking up your skirt and rubbing your crotch all over Lemmy's knee, the statue of Lemmy? You don't remember that? <laughs> and everybody was just like, what are you doing? And you're like, fuck off. Fuck off. I'm fucking Lemmy. Um, <laughs> well, that happens in the rainbow. I mean, that statue gets molested. Well, I'm hoping people show up next. It's next Saturday. We're around 730 at the World's End in Camden. No, seven. Seven, okay. Seven. Fashion. We're going to make it there for seven, aren't we, Dee? We're going to be there from seven o'clock on the 19th. Well, we have a reason to celebrate. Kate's becoming a proud Yank. So, uh, I am. Yeah, so uh, why not give her a good send-off? So that'll be fun. So uh, this week, I've been drinking my normal amount, but uh, I did have dinner with uh, Lenora. Got to catch up with my friend Lenora, which has been a little while. And uh, we, we ended up going to, which is weird, because we usually go to this one Chinese restaurant, Los Feliz, but this time she was like, let's go to Franklin Village and go to Poubel. So Poubel's this like pretty cool French restaurant. It's actually a, a, it's a pretty decent French restaurant and bar that's right on uh, Franklin and Franklin Village. But right across the you... street, I, you know, I think she was around there for some reason. And I just mean, why would you ever put the word poo in your restaurant? Oh, yeah. well, what does what that mean? What should we name our restaurant? P-O-U-B-E-L-L-E, like Poubel. What does that mean? It's like paw. Well, you pronounce it paw for one thing. I have no idea. And it's like, because it. paw vu is for you. So it's for, for beauty, I think, is it? Is that what it I'm means? Sure. For beauty? We'll have to go check it out. It is kind of cool. It's very European for uh, LA. Like you can sit outside and smoke and eat Ooh, it. La, la. And it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not like a gross area of Hollywood. But right across the street is the Scientology Celebrity Center. Oh, wow. Which I'm pretty sure we've driven by it before. But I make a point of giving it the finger every time we do. Well, it's kind of like, I mean, that's the one thing about those Scientologists and what makes L.A. very weird is L.A. just kind of accepts the fact that there's this cult that lives that owns all this real estate, like $300 million worth of real estate in this town. It doesn't pay a cent in property tax because we consider Scientology to be a religion. So, yeah, they can write it off as a charity. Yeah. But over in, Eng over in Britain, we don't recognize them as a religion so they can't have which is normal. A, a registered chari charity so that's why the Scientologists don't bother over here which I think says something doesn't it well so they have all these buildings all over and you'll, you'll see be like oh that's a Scientology building like the, the famous one the blue one that's on a uh, fountain yeah that used to be the hospital yeah but the celebrity center um, I was looking into it, and it used to be a famous like hotel, like a socialite hotel that everybody hung out at, and yeah. it's a it's a really like impressive uh, you know architectural structure, and they they have events there. So when we were eating dinner, there was like something going on like with comedians and bands, and then you saw like walking around it, these like men and women in like these like naval uniforms, like the Sea Org yeah. uniforms. Which, I don't know, there must have been an event, because usually I see them, I've seen them before at the Blue Building on Fountain, but the one in the Celebrity Center, I don't usually see the Sea Org people, so there must have been something going on, and they had like a band and a comedy show. But it's, it's an interesting building, it's at 5930 Franklin Avenue, and it used to be called Chateau Elysée. And so, I was looking into it, because I'm like, you know, what was the history of this place? Because, I mean, you look at it and you're like, wow, that's an impressive building. What the fuck is going on there with the Scientologists? Like, what are they doing in there? I mean, they're probably reprogramming people or something. But um, so this 
So the building was originally, I guess it was originally uh, constructed by a woman by the name of Eleanor uh, Nell Kershaw, who was an actress in like the early 1900s. But she was married to a famous man, um, who, a self-made man who uh, kind of helped make Hollywood. This guy named Thomas Ince. And so yeah. this guy had the first modern studio um, at in the Pacific Palisades, it was known as known as Innsville. And then Innsville, like at Innsville, he developed the studio system and then later founded MGM and Paramount. So this guy was like, he was loaded, but he was a self-made man. Um, and so as the, the story goes with Thomas Ince, he obviously hung out with a lot of the LA, you know, celebrities at the time. Uh, one person in particular was a man by the name of uh, William Randolph Hearst. And so yeah. in 1924, November 16th, 1924, there's a group of friends. Ince was one of them. They're all partying with, um, with Hearst and his longtime mistress, uh, Marion Davies, on his boat called the Oneida, yeah. which was in San I Diego. Love this story. Do you know the story? Yeah, so I it do. was uh, Hearst, Marion Davies, his mistress, Charlie Chaplin, Hearst go- gossip columnist Luella Parsons, uh, Dr. Daniel Goodman, and uh, the birthday boy, Thomas Ince who was like, I guess he was, uh, at that day, was participating in negotiations with Hearst Film Company. Hearst owned everything back then. So they were out having dinner. Yeah, he was kind of evil as well. Yeah. Well, they were out having dinner, and then uh, Thomas Ince fell ill, like from acute indigestion, which is often the sign of a heart attack. And so they headed back to Del Mar, and uh, yeah, 48 hours later, he died of heart failure. So... You know, there's all these rumors going around that that Hearst felt that uh, he suspected that um, his mistress, Marion, was having an affair with Charlie Chaplin and that he shot him. But the bullet accidentally hit Thomas Ince and killed Ince instead. And they covered up the murder because he was wealthy. There are all these rumors going around. But regardless, Ince's widow, Nell, was with, left with a huge fortune. And she had three young sons, and she knew what, what actually happened because she had been with Ince when he died of the heart attack. So she inherited $1.6 million in 1926, which... Ooh, ooh, let me guess how much that's worth today. I would say that's worth like $6.6 billion. I doubt that much, but it's, it's worth... It's a hefty sum of money, so it's probably worth a lot. Fuck yeah. Um, and so she's the one who decided to build Chateau Elysee for $565,000 at the time. And it's, yeah, it's a beautiful building. It was designed by an architect by the name of Arthur E. Harvey. Um, it was built to be an apartment house and a grand hotel for the Hollywood elite. And so the people that hung out there was like Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, Carol Lombard stayed there for a bit. Um, Czech Baroness uh, uh, Georges de Beck. Um, who is known by her name, uh, Jarmila Novotna. Um, she, was, she stayed there while she was preparing for a role in uh, La Traviata at the Hollywood Bowl at the time. Um, uh, Edmund O'Brien, Nancy Kelly, Errol Flynn used, yeah. to, uh, used to stay there and play poker with the off-duty uh, chauffeurs. And I bet he poked a lot of chicks in there too. Oh, I'm I also sure. want to say Marion Davis has a very interesting life story. I've always wanted to cover her on the Patreon at some point. So you like, should do an overkill about that. An interesting relationship she had with uh, Hearst as well. Well, she's she's kind of shady, especially her mother. So Nell ended up having the building, but obviously it was kind of expensive, and uh, she ended up selling the chateau in 1943. And throughout the 40s, uh, they still kept it as like a women's club, and there was like parties, people would rent it out. 
But in 1969, that's when the building began being used by the Church of Scientology. And so they called it their Celebrity Center. And they purchased the building in 1973 for $1 million dollars. I can't believe it goes back that far with Scientologists, because in my mind, they're still really fresh and new. No, uh, L. Ron Hubbard was active in the, he was starting the religion in the late 60s, early 70s. When did he write that bloody book? Uh, 60s. In the 60s. Yeah. yeah. It's a, wow. I mean, I wouldn't say it's an wow. old religion. Obviously, it's not as old as like, you know, the big three, but it's it's definitely been around for decades. I mean, it's not, it's just not a brand new cult. Well, Yeah. You know, it's not like Heaven's Gate. Pretty close, though. Um, so the Bless property that. they estimate in uh, 2013 that uh, they, the Celebrity Center is worth $75 million now. And so, yeah, they own over $300 million of real estate in L.A., which is crazy. It's crazy to me. It's weird how they can own it when they're technically a registered charity and you would think, well, the well, they're religion. own it and lease it to you. Yeah, that's what I mean, but that's just really weird to me. It seems a bit backward but in some ways it's good because can if they hadn't bought these buildings what would have happened to them you know what la likes to do it likes to fucking raise the buildings doesn't it so these probably wouldn't have maybe survived it's it's a good point because prior to uh um the church purchasing uh the chateau elysee in 1960 or 1973 it was slated to be demolished and they were planning on building yeah, like so. apartment complexes. So they did preserve this this old building. Uh, preserve it for what? That's a good question. So you can go there. Weird things. And they do have guided tours. There's also the Renaissance restaurant, which I always wanted to eat there. It's like this five-star fr- like French California restaurant. Um, okay. Yeah, French Californian cuisine. But the restaurant was open to the public when I used to live there. But I guess since the pandemic, it's now only open to Scientologists and their guests. I kind of don't want to fund the Scientologists. Yeah. I just don't want to give. Even if the food was like, somebody was like, this is the best food you'll ever eat, Kate. I'll be like, it's never going to be as good as a baguette in Pierre Lachie's. Fuck off. Well, I think what I, I think you'd go there for the weirdness of the experience. But once again, you are contributing to the Funding church. Them. Yeah. Yeah, so, and I don't want that. And plus, who knows what they would put in your food? That's another good question. Like, what? yeah, what kind of Kool-Aid... You know, are they putting in your food? Yeah. Um, so the church. Slave raid. Thank you. The church denies the existence of a policy to recruit high-ranking celebrities at the celebrity center, though the L.A. Times wrote that the church uses celebrity spokesmen, Tom Cruise, Kirstie Alley, Wait. John Travolta, to endorse Elron uh, Hubbard's teachings and kind of give Scientology more like credence and acceptability in mainstream America. Yeah, as if that's happening. Can I just say, rest in peace to Kirstie Alley, who is no longer with us. I like him. Courtney Love has a good story about when they got her to go. She was whacked. She went to the Celebrity Center. Oh, Kirstie Alley was, but Courtney Love went there a few times. And she was like, yeah, I ate their chicken. They're they're fucking insane, but it was free chicken. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) So the center, Scientology Center, um, was a synergistic vehicle for what the church called, this is in the LA Times article, Project Celebrity. So they would hunt for A-listers such as Greta Garbo, Walt Disney, and Orson Welles and kind of make it seem like, you know, famous celebrities think Scientology's cool. So it's the it religion. Yeah, like at the time. And you know, in 1986, when Hubbard finally died, and he had a, a very interesting uh, reclusive life at the end, kind of very Howard Hughes-esque. Um, 
1986, Scientology was kind of like that offbeat it religion, like kind of a new age type thing, I think it was considered. And yeah, you had Tom Cruise, John Travolta, you had Kersey Alley, Ann Archer. And by, um, by the mid-90s, the church claimed a membership of 8 million people. Definitely not at that level now. But that's kind of a lot, no, more Priscilla than I thought. Priscilla Presley was one. Priscilla yeah. and Lisa were both in the church, but Priscilla thought it ended up getting really wackadoo for her, so they all left. I mean, the so whole premise is whacked. Yeah. So I was thinking about this. It's been a while since we've covered the Scientologists. By cover, I mean ridicule. But um, I, I was feeling, you know, it's, it's an opportune time right now because you're about to move to L.A. where you're going to inevitably encounter those nutters. It's kind of unavoidable here. Like, there's no way you can live in this city without encountering Scientologists. And though their numbers are dwindling, you know, you still don't know who's a Scientologist in this town and what they're capable of doing to you. That, that's the weird thing about it. Like, you know, my previous job that I had, I had no idea, like, the, all the executives and the VPs in this place were Scientologists until I made a Tom Cruise joke and someone was like, you don't want to make jokes about Tom Cruise here. I mean, it's weird. It is weird. Yeah. Um, so this week, we're going to chat about the mysterious disappearance of Shelley Miscavige, who's the wife nice. of Scientology leader David Miscavige, who hasn't been seen in public for more than a decade. It's, it's very bizarre. I remember bizarre. the Louis Ferru. Uh, yeah. Sh- yeah. She's he looked into her death. Louis and so did, we're going to talk about Leah Remini, but Leah Remini did that like show on Scientology about escaping the clutches of Scientology. And the reason she was excommunicated is because she was looking into the disappearance of Shelley Miscavige. I didn't, I didn't know this about Leah Remini, but Leah Remini was a, was a Sea Org member, and so was Shelley. And she kind of looked right. up to her when she was younger, like kind of as a mentor figure. And then she just kind of disappeared. So before we get into all of that, let's chat about something a bit more spiritually fulfilling than the Church of Scientology. The sick and wrong patron. Come drink yes. our Kool-Aid. Flavor it. It was flavor um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm giving out Kool-Aid. So if you like what we do, if you like what we do here on the show, what me and Kate do every week, and you listen to us every week, all we ask is for you to sign up to the sick and wrong patron or just subscribe to the show, the second show on Apple Podcasts. It's easy. It's only five bucks a month. And then you get access to, you know, bonus content, such as a complete second show, The Sick and Wrong. Um, we do a whole second show every week, as well as bonus content like Serial Killer Star Signs and Overkill and things like that. So this week on Second Show, it's definitely a bit more personal than the main show. Um, I get into uh, uh, my recent trip to San Francisco to see my sister and my uh, handsome nephew, Ozzy. I really don't understand how that kid could be that handsome with my jeans. It's, it's because he's related to me. That's why he's so handsome. It could be. Um, it but is. anyway, exactly. we ended up getting really drunk with Wackerly. Wackerly came out and met us uh, after work in the mission, and uh, we got wasted. And he ended up passing out at my sister's house, and she covered him in Ozzy's toys and took this amazing picture, which I'm going to post to the patron. Yeah, she sent it to him. Like the next day, she texted to him, and he just wrote back, no. <laughs> he didn't even say anything. Just wrote, no. And we haven't heard from him <laughs> since. Um, we also we also chat about Jeffrey coming over, but then leaving early because he was like, yeah, I got to get early to go to Lazy Bear Weekend in Guerneville. 
Apparently, they, okay. they do this thing called Lazy okay. Bear up in the North Bay. So we find out about that. He actually slept in a <gasps> is tent. That that fest- is that the festival where you guess the weights of the bears? I don't know if they do that there. Maybe. I imagine they do a lot of things with bears up there. I, Jeffrey slept I in a tent with a bear. I know we're talking about gay, gay men, but I want to imagine that it's got something really to do with bears. Because the bears are well, very delightful. These are delightful bears as well. <laughs> I'm making a bear, so like you would guess the weight, and whoever was closest to the fattest bear just before they went to hibernate, like you win a prize. Gets a blowy, you know, (laughs) (laughs) a a nice prize. All the deets are on second show, so you got to go over there to find out. Only five bucks a month, and you get access to the Sick and Wrong Discord. You can make some, uh, some, some, meet some lovely people, make some friends for life. Um, and as I mentioned yeah. before, Apple Podcasts, uh, we, we now have second show on uh, Apple Podcasts. So you can just use your uh, Apple Podcasts app right on your phone. Just click subscribe. It's that easy. And for a few bucks more, you get access to uh, some more bonus content. We've got Sick and Wrong Overkill, which is our bonus mini show that Kate, Kate Rambo does, as well as the archives, the first 10 years of Sick and Wrong on SoundCloud. All available on the Patreon, patreon.com slash sickandwrong. So let me play this quick promo. And then uh, let's find out what happened to the former first lady of Scientology. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. I used to write letters to like my like I used to write letters to like Molly Crew and like. to Tommy Lee. I don't remember exactly who I was writing it to. Wait, do you like, have these letters? No, I, I sent it to the to the to the address. To the what, what did you say yeah. in the letter? Like I want to touch your hair. Like <laughs> I'm sure it was just. I'm sure. I don't know. I was in like fifth grade. Yeah, but what would you say? Or to- fourth grade. <laughs> I don't know, like who. Like... Just say, man, you're so cool, man. Yeah. I hope when I grow up, man, I'm just like you, cool you dudes, are... man. Yeah, your did latex you pants, man. I did, but I'll say this: Poison. <laughs> Poison is the only band that actually sent something back, like a dick. What did they it was, send uh, you Brett, back? Brett Michaels' lock of hair. No way. You know, it was like just some like you know I don't know. Our, here's our thanks for writing here's a, to it. A list of shit you could buy or whatever. Like, <laughs> like join our, pay for our fan <laughs> club or something. Yeah, but at least they sent something back. Like n- nobody else. Wait, fucking Axel Rose didn't send anything back. <laughs> Fuck him, <laughs> asshole. Do you think like uh, Vince Neil still has your letter? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> sure he does. He, he just hasn't gotten around to it. He just hasn't written you back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just covered in cum. Yeah. <laughs> For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. For decades, Shelley Miscavige has been the first lady of Scientology. Like, at least since they got married in the early 80s. So she's been around for a while. And she's always pictured, well, was always pictured by Miscavige's side, David Miscavige, the leader of Scientology. Almost every meeting, every trip, every photo op, you'd see the two of them together. But then in August 2007, she suddenly disappeared without a trace, and no one knows what happened to her. And there's no real investigation. It's, it's weird. 
it it kind of it kind of shows you how powerful the church can be and the influence that they have because you'd think there'd be a missing persons case they would want to look into her welfare but they've shut that down it's just just looking at pictures of her and i must say some woman the woman what she's a handsome woman oh she's a handsome woman she is a handsome woman she's attractive I mean, this could be a man in a dress, handsome woman. I've seen a couple pictures of her where uh, she does kind of look attractive. But as she gets older, I wouldn't say she's kind of uh, she's very lithe. <laughs> maybe very that's gaunt. why he disappeared her. Yeah, maybe. Um, so to date, what happened to her is unknown, and there's lots of rumors that she's been sent to like one of their secret camps. Um, but Scientology spokespeople are like, "Oh no, she's." perfectly well and she's just living out of the public eye just focusing on her her projects like they're just maintaining that it's completely normal that this woman hasn't been seen in public since 2007 yeah can't the police do that isn't it like a welfare check or a, if you're worried about somebody where they would actually force her to come out and speak to the has that ever happened well leah remini filed a missing persons uh, uh, case with the LAPD. And the LAPD, quote unquote, looked into her disappearance, but then concluded that no investigation is necessary. Oh, they're so corrupt, the LAPD. I mean, yeah. we're not even trusting them. Look at Outlaw Archive and the Edgar's situation totally. that's all happened. Yeah, it's so corrupt. I mean, look at Rodney King. <laughs> so let's get into some of the background, the history here. Because I, I actually didn't know much about Shelley Miscavige until I started doing this research. And it is kind of an interesting history. I'd say a bit on the tragic side. So she was born Michelle Diane Barnett, January 18th, 1961. And her life was intertwined with the Church of Scientology since the beginning. Both her parents were ardent practitioners. And uh, they actually left Miscavige. They left Shelley and her sister, with, uh, um, it, with uh, Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard's care. So they just left, they just abandoned their children and devoted them to L. Ron, which is oh, weird. Wow. <laughs> um, I mean, they say that Shelley's father, Barney, was, was a handyman who was in and out of work, didn't have much money. And the mother, Flo Barnett, had mental health issues. And so they felt that, you know, L. Ron would be able to give these kids a better life than they ever could. And they just abandoned them. So, But they still stayed in the church, though. But the parents did for, for a period of time, but then they did eventually leave. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Um, Was that a thing, though, that a lot of the parents of Scientology kids in the early days especially would leave their children with Elrond? Was that a thing? Well, was it like was a, a thing. Scenario? It was a thing with Sea Org because it was considered right. prestigious to be in Sea Org. And so Shelley and her sister were, spent most of their childhood aboard Hubbard's ship, the Apollo. So this is a weird thing about, uh, um, about Hubbard and, the, uh, and Scientology during the 70s, like late 70s. Scientology was kind of having an, a bit of an existential crisis. So it, it sort of was founded as religion, like I think early 60s, late 50s, but it was all kind of based on his, um, his like science fiction books. And I, I think yes, at the time, you know, people were willing to believe. I mean, look at all the other cults that proliferated back in the 70s. I, th I think people were more amenable to it. But then by the 70s, 
you know, the feds had filed two criminal conspiracies against the church. And there were investigations by journalists and uh, the Scientologists had tried to infiltrate different um, government agencies and, uh, and law enforcement in L.A. So people were like, what's going on with this weird cult? And people started questioning the religion yeah. and its influence, especially in Los Angeles. So Hubbard was growing quite paranoid. And I, you know, I've read in a couple different uh, articles I was reading about Hubbard. At this time, Elrond, who for all intents and purposes, he was kind of a brilliant man and a prolific writer. I mean, he wrote a lot of uh, science fiction, found his own religion, but he got really crazy and paranoid at the end. Kind of became a Kurtzian type figure, you know, from Apocalypse Now. Like he yeah, was weird. Yeah. He was reclusive and was weird and was talking about the aliens coming. And so he didn't want to live on land anymore. He wanted to live in international waters. So he moved onto the boat, the Apollo. He took over this transport ship and just kind of floated. He was a seafaring nomad. And uh, he would walk around in ascots and his denim jackets. And he made everybody call him the Commodore at the time. <laughs> it's weird. I can't believe that people are like, this is my religion. <laughs> And so everybody on the Apollo had to wear naval uniforms and he called them, he called this organization, which was almost like a paramilitary group, if you think about it, Sea Org. And membership, yeah. membership into Sea Org was only restricted to the highest ranking and most devoted Scientologists. Among them, Hubbard's third wife, Mary Sue, uh, who he married in 1952. And Sea Org included a group called the Commodore's Messengers Organization, which is pretty much the pinnacle of being a devoted Scientologist. And most of the messengers were comely teenage girls dressed in hot pants and halter tops. And they were at Sex the Commodore's- on board a boat as well. Uh, yeah. And they were at the Commodore's beck and call. He would snap his fingers, they'd fetch him drinks. They would record every word he said. They would relay his commands to everybody else on the ship. They would draw his bath. They would light his cool cigarettes. Because he smoked cools back And they would fuck him. Yeah. Not sure about that, but I wouldn't be surprised. But guess who was one of uh, Hubbard's devoted member of the uh, Commodore's Messengers organization? Shelly Miscavige. Yeah. Shelly, from the age of 12, was one of the teenage girls who wore the halter tops and and the hot pants and took care of Hubbard, the Commodore. And so, um, People, people back then used to say, like, she just seemed different than the other girls that were part of the, uh, the, the other messengers. Like, she just seemed kind of aloof and never quite fit in. Um, and she would never step out of line. That's one thing. Janice Grady, who was a former Scientologist, who also was a member of the, of the, the messengers, knew Shelley in childhood. And she was like, she was always kind of just in the background. But she was fiercely loyal to Elrond. Um, and, but she was not someone you could be like, take this project and run with it. Maybe because she wasn't experienced enough or she just didn't have confidence to make her own decisions at the time. So she usually kind of leaned on somebody else to sort of guide her. Elrond, and then later, a man by the name of David Miscavige, who was also a member of Sea Org. And okay. so... So is Tom Cruise a member of Sea Org? Is he like the highest you can get? He is... He's part of, he's not a part of Sea Org because I, I don't think he grew okay. up in the religion. He was recruited, but he's definitely no, he as high the, as you can get. 
Uh, this is a random fun fact about Tom Cruise, I know. So he's like really, really like Roman Catholic. And in fact, he nearly became a priest but and nearly went off to go and do missionary. But he was so, um, he had a really bad time with drugs and drink when he was about 17 to 19, like super, like he was going to die from it. And I think Scientology saved him. So that's why he's so devoted to it. Yeah, I wonder because with their connections, they used to be able to make or break people's careers. So I wonder if they got him his break, like back in like the risky business days. Possibly, you know, maybe. Who knows? But he is fiercely loyal to L. Ron Hubbard and his teachings. And we completely all know whacked out. I think, I think Travolta. Thing. Well, I think Travolta, there's some blackmail going on. Could be with uh, with uh, Cruz too, um, but Tom Cruise seems definitely like legitimately obsessed with Scientology, like a, an adherent of the Church and its teachings. Yeah, yeah. So David Miscavige, his family joined the Church of Scientology in 1971. He was he was from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania originally, but the family moved to the Church of Scientology's world headquarters at St. Hill Manor in West Sussex, England, back in the early 70s. Really? Yeah, I never knew All that right. either. And St. Hill was, was the training ground for uh, many Scientologists. That's where Miscavige, uh, David Miscavige, was trained to become an auditor. And he is remembered by the Scientology okay. organization as a 12-year-old prodigy who became its youngest professional auditor, which, I mean, is kind of unbelievable if you think about it. So after he'd been trained there, the family then returned to Philadelphia and then uh, uh, Miscavige was in high school. But in 1976, he got his father's permission to, on his 16th birthday, to drop out of high school, move to Clearwater, Florida, and join Sea Org. And so he was a member of Sea Org as well. And so one of his earliest jobs was delivering uh, telexes, like the faxes and all that, groundskeeping, food service, and taking photographs for the Scientology brochures. Um, he was also um, a part of the CMO, the Commodore's messenger organization, but I don't think he was wearing a halter top and hot pants. Um, but it oh, was... that's unfair. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but it was there that he met uh, Shelley, and that's where their romance blossomed. So they, they were living, it's around 1978, in a Sea Org kind of a compound called Int Base, which is about 90 miles east of Los Angeles. So it's kind of almost by Riverside. And it's still there. It's like a resort that they, they turned into Scientology's international headquarters. There's a film production studio, a security. Hubbard, uh, L. Ron had a $10 million mansion at the, at the Int Base. I was just reading about that St. Hill Manor, and it's still owned by the Church of Scientology Day. And in fact, it's now become a historic monument. And Tom Cruise and David Miscarriage donated 10 grand to cover the local rugby team's cost. But they renovated it a couple of years back. And they also purchased seven brand new minibuses. And they transport 400 staff members between the manor and the town of Crowborough. So the town of Crowborough in Sussex is awash with Scientologists. I thought Scientology was kind of... Not not outlawed in England, but discredited. No, it's not illegal. But yeah, it's, they don't really bother here. And I've never met a Scientologist, ever. And I think if I did meet a Scientologist, I'd be like, "What? what is your problem? I wonder What's if we have any listeners you? that are you know live near St. Hill Manor. 
in West Sussex. Yeah, who could who've ever been round this tiny little? It it nearly could be like um, oh, what's he called? Uh, the Simon Pegg director, the Spaced director, his guy. That guy, Edgar. It could be like an Edgar. Reifel, oh, um, yeah, that guy. Uh, I forget his, what's his last name. Edgar. It isn't Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. That's who it is. I yeah. am hungover, but so weird. David Miscavige was known as having like a hair trigger temper, and just produced sun fits of like verbal and physical violence just at a moment's notice. And if you look at this guy, he's a diminutive man. He's like about the size of uh, Tom Cruise. He's only like, but he's not like muscular. He's like maybe five foot four. Very put together. Totally. A complete and utter uh, uh, prototypical Napoleon complex with this guy. So they said at one point, sources say at one point, he punched his own auditor in the face. He was so angry. But most of the time, he was a fun-loving guy that, you know, and wunderkin because he was so smart and he was a prodigy at the time. People said he had the personality that could light up the room, but he was very commanding at the same time. And other people in the church say that it's completely false that he had fits of violence and a temper. But Claire Headley, who's an ex-Scientologist, said, the closer to David Miscavige you get, the harder you're going to fall. It's like the law of gravity. It's just a matter of when. And Shelley was getting really close to David Miscavige. So... Shelley rarely discussed her family, but she indicated to, to some of her closer friends that her childhood had been horrible. Like her parents divorced at an early age. She, she did love her father, but the mother, who had mental health issues, had been out of the picture for years. So in 1985, um, while struggling to recover from, from a surgery for an aneurysm, Shelley's mother became involved with a Scientology splinter group. This is Flo Barnett that enraged David Miscavige. So at this point, David and Shelley were married, but David hated Shelley's mom. And Shelley also was estranged from her mother. So Flo Barnett, Shelley's mother, joined this uh, splinter group. And uh, that that what they did is they kind of, um, I guess it was, uh, when was this? They were trying to publish reports that were kind of exposing different secrets about Scientology. And they exposed a, uh, a, a operation, I guess, called like Operation Snow White, where they were trying to infiltrate the IRS. And they had, they had evidence that the Scientology, the Church of Scientology was infiltrating the IRS. And so David Miscavige you know, thought she was a traitor. And many people thought that she, he wanted her dead, but he hated Flo Barnett. So later that year, after she, was, she recovered from surgery, she was found dead. And what LAPD determined was a suicide. But observers were like, well, this is really odd. How could a five foot three woman shoot four bullets into her own chest and head with a long rifle? I was about to ask how she died, right? Yeah, she shot herself three times in the chest and once in the head, but with a rifle that she could barely even reach. It, it's... it's- it's a setup, I mean, it's, it's, isn't it? It's suspect, that's for sure. Um, former church member Karen De La Carrier remembers after Shelley learned of the death of her mother, she said, well, good riddance to that bitch. I'm sure, oh, I'm sure David, Because she will have known, probably. Well, I'm sure David, her husband, echoed that sentiment. But it is kind of weird that this woman, this is how she committed suicide? I mean, it seems suspicious to me. 
Do a so, better job. I mean, if the canary can sing, she can certainly fly. I would have just pushed her out of a window. Or I would have opened a window and chucked her out. Well, over the years, David Miscavige's detractors, a lot of the people that left the church, said that, you know, the strange details surrounding this woman's death suggest that maybe the church wanted her dead. Maybe she knew something. I mean, they classified her as an SP, a suppressive person, but maybe she knew Mm -hmm. something. So, I mean, the Splinter Group rejected Miscavige and didn't think he was was like a, a rightful heir to be the leader of the Church of Scientology. So maybe that's what it was. But they also felt that they they definitely had, you know, information on the church. So maybe they did so take when care Hubbard, of So when Hubbard died, did it go to David? Or did he have to, like, I don't know, jump through some hoops? He wrested power. It wasn't just, he wasn't just the successor. He beat out all the other people, all the other executives and the top-ranking Scientology officials to basically wrest control of the church. So it, it was huh. almost like, yeah, I mean, it was, he was never appointed successor. He declared himself successor. So you can do that in the church. Like I could walk in and it's like when Michael Scott declares bankruptcy, I could just walk in and be like, I'm the leader now, bitch. Well, I mean, he, uh, he was the highest ranking executive. And at the time, Elrond, you know, was living on a boat, kind of dialed out, sort of like, you know, the thinking that he was communicating with aliens. So someone had to take control. And so David kind of stepped into the, that leadership role. And Shelley was right at his side. Shelley was in charge of like the dozen staffers who worked in the executive office. And so she did whatever, quote unquote, the boss, her husband told her to do. Um, but, and she was kind of his unofficial counselor. You know, so so when in uh, other times she was like a, the valet, but she was always with him. Like if he needed her, she was at his beck and call, kind of like she was with Elrond. Yeah, but she's not way. wearing sexy outfits anymore. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, kind of no, sad. It's like she hasn't ever had a life. Her life has just been to be at the beck and call of a man. But that's all she. That's all she knew. But she did. I mean, she was at the the pinnacle of the church, so she did have like, you know, high profile projects. Power. And she did have a lot of power and access to a lot of power. So one of the things that, uh, that one of her projects, her pet projects, was to find a new wife for Tom Cruise in 2004. <gasps> oh, my goodness. So she, I would be so good. What's the Jewish word? Is it a yen, yenti, a yentl? No, it's a What's matchmaker. What's Patty Stanger? A matchmaker. Yeah, when, that would be me. I'd, I would want this job within the Scientology church. I just think I'd be really good at it. Well, it's funny because Tom Cruise's lawyers are like, oh, no, there's no project like this. But she was the one who uh, recruited Penelope Cruz. You remember that? After Nicole Kidman? Well, tried to. Well, tried she, to. Penelope Cruz never became a full-fledged member of Scientology, and that's why they broke up. They also say she found Katie Holmes. Maybe. She did become. But I was wondering yeah. about this. So after... He divorced Katie, and I don't even think he has rights to see the child. Well, Katie anymore. fled. She fled. So who's no, he she's with kept now? The child. Do you know? He was dating somebody. Yeah, he has been dating, but he's not been ever serious with somebody. I actually saw um, what film did he just release? Was it End of a Mission Impossible? Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible yeah. number 20, 25 million. And I thought, you know what? He looks really good for his age. He does look very good. He's obviously well, had a diet of like, you know, there's no drink, no drugs. 
he has the best surgeons that he can have. But he doesn't even look like he's been like pulled together all that much. Well, I'm sure he's got the like, best he plastic very surgery, the best nutritionist, the best fitness instructors yeah, you could even buy. But it is yeah, weird. Like, did you ever see the picture of him with his old, uh, I forget her name, but the old co-star in uh, Top Gun who's aged like a regular woman? Yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. And like, oh, oh God, Nicole Kidman was i would say in the 90s was one of my favorite actresses and she's gorgeous please nicole what have you fucking she looks done? like an alien she was, was she ever in the church yeah she was in the church but she but she, she escaped she yeah she escaped but she's never her she's now become an sp and her children that she adopted with tom i know she adopted two children i can't i don't think they ever had no maybe they had two of children of their own they did have like a fair few kids none of them will see or speak to her because they're all in the church so oh, ever oh, the since kids are still left, in the church yeah all of them hmm. so she's never seen those kids and has very regular contact with them you're talking maybe a card at christmas which like must be really shit for her to deal with i think That's they adopted terrible. two and maybe had one something like so that at the mission impossible premiere he showed up with a woman by the name of Haley atwell who played Peggy Carter in the Captain America uh, yeah. movies. So people, I don't know, are uh, uh, conjecturing that he's involved with her, but I don't think it's official. No, I thought, uh, no, I'm I, everyone, I thought there were gossip. rumors that he was gay. I don't really get the gay vibe from Tom Cruise. I, I just do. get like... Tom, John Travolta, definitely. Oh, for sure. But Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise just isn't very sexy to me. He's never one of those stars where if people are like, oh, he's my favorite actor, I'm always like, why? He's never, Tom Cruise is never, apart from Color of Money, there's not really many Tom Cruise films I'm like, he's That's a great movie. This. Martin Scorsese, a lot of people don't realize that. He just looks like an annoying man. Like, I think I'd just be really annoyed with him. I think, yeah, I think I could certainly have, like, a dinner with Tom Cruise, but then I would just be like, he is so uh, up his own fucking ass. I know. I've, I've heard rumors, living in the city, you always hear rumors, that uh, he used to have an apartment that he uh, would let oh, his rent boy. boys, yeah, his rent boys would live in. But, I don't know, Yeah, rumors. I mean, I can see that. I just don't find him very, se- he's very asexual to me. So, getting back to David and Shelley here, they had an odd marriage. Surprise, surprise. A very odd, affectionless marriage. So a lot of yeah. uh, former Scientology members say that they never saw the couple kiss or hug or be physical in any way. Um, they said that he kind of treated her and she treated him like her boss. So when the couple went out at night, they were usually with a whole group, a whole coterie of Miss Cabbage's yes men. And then when they came home, they went to separate bedrooms without kissing goodnight Weird. or anything. They just would suddenly go to separate bedrooms. Um, what, uh, uh, Mark Headley here, who is a member, ex-member of the Church of Scientology, said, I never, ever saw them kiss. I was there for 15 years working with them. So I had plenty of opportunities to witness them together. Never saw them once being affectionate with each other. He's like, I'm talking about in a room with four other people, informal, just hanging out, and he would never touch her. Maybe he has his own little apartment full of rent boys. Maybe. I mean, I don't, maybe he's just, you know, asexual. They just maybe said that. Maybe he doesn't that, fancy her because she's very handsome. <laughs> it could be that too. Shelley. Just said that there was no real affection. Like he never kissed, hugged her. And just, it was just a very working type relationship. But the thing is though, with both of them, with David Miscavige, who pretty much grew up as a Sea Org member, and Shelley, 
is uh, it was a very conservative like group within the Church of Scientology. So they forbade everything sexual. There's no premarital petting, not even masturbation. And if you're really? a Sea Org member, it was you're not allowed to masturbate. <laughs> Why? Yeah, I, I don't know. So maybe they were just really conservative, and that's just and boring, and that's how they were. Although people used to say that Miscavige, you know, would berate people, and he would say some use some pretty colorful language. Um, one person said he unleashed a torrent of filth on a guy who uh, made a mistake. But in his like Philadelphia type accent, he says, you're a cocksucker. I'll rip your balls off, you dirty cunt. <laughs> People deny you said that. So then but, does I mean, he have to go and get audited for 10 days because he's let some bad juju out into the atmosphere and the aliens won't pick him up? I just don't understand how it works. I mean, he's the head honcho, so who knows? But I guess uh, according to several sources, I read this Vanity Fair article, Miss Cavage, David, relished reading transcripts of the auditing sessions in which Tom Cruise discussed his sex life. And Shelly... Oh, I bet he would have a stiffy. Yes, Shelly would just blush and shake her head and say, that's gross. Now, the church <laughs> spokespeople dispute this account, saying it never happened. But I'm sure... After when you're a member, especially if you're like Tom Cruise or John Travolta, you have to spend hours in the auditing booths, you know, confessing whatever yeah. it is that you do. And I'm sure like the high ranking Scientologists, like the executive level people are listening to all that. Wouldn't you? Of course they are. They have to. I'll be like, it's part of my job that I have to make sure that you are being audited properly and that you are also giving all the information to the auditor so that you can transcend to the next realm. So I had to listen to your transcript while you talked about licking Nicole Kidman's pussy this morning. <laughs> or sucking like 10 cocks. I imagine you did that as well. Um, and that as well. So Miss Cavage, as David, as David was, you know, ascending to the top of the, uh, the, 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 the top of the Church of Scientology, his rise to power made him like act more volatile, made him act very irascible. Like at a moment's notice, he would just freak out on somebody. And the other thing he had, which is very similar to his predecessor, he had like this siege mentality, like a persecution complex. So he was like, you know, the whole time full of anxiety, didn't trust anybody. The only person he kind of trusted was right at his side. And that was his wife, Shelly. And so I guess like this was in uh, the early aughts. There was a PR nightmare. It caused a huge defection with a lot of people from the church. So members of Sea Org, which is still like the highest ranking Scientology like members, um, started leaving because they said that Miscavige terrorized them and humiliated them and abused them. And then he would claim that they're SPs. So people would report that he would choke his staff. He would punch them. He would berate them. Uh, he even ordered his lieutenants to do this. And another thing that they used to do is they used to, if if he was really upset with you and your performance, he would send you over to the hole. The hole is like a detention building, also known as the SP hole or the ADE room. And it's at Gold Base, which is in is another. It's in the town called of uh, called Hemet, which is also east of LA in Riverside. 
And so dozens of Scientology senior execs, when you're in the doghouse, get sent to the hole. And they're there for months, sometimes years. And it consists of a set of double-wide trailers. And uh, inside there, I mean, you, you do just humiliating things. Like um, he was saying that some of them uh, had to like eat a diet of rice and beans, perform menial tasks, including scrubbing bathrooms with your tongue. You're not allowed to speak no. to anyone, including your family. Yeah. And there's no way to escape. Like you couldn't because uh, you're surrounded by armed guards. Um, one person said that, <laughs> that you, were, you had to fight for your jobs, sometimes literally. Like they played a game of musical chairs set to Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. And if you didn't oh get a chair, gosh. you were out. You had to stay at the hole. And that's your job gone. I yeah. don't want to mention it because I mention him every week. But let's just say oh, this Jesus is really Christ. reminding Jim me Jones of, again? <laughs> really? about when a guy called Bim Bones <laughs> moved to a place called Wyana and started his own little cultish world called Bones Bound. <laughs> really reminds me of that. It's like... This is like six degrees of separation. Everything in your mind relates to Jim Jones. We could be talking about space disco. I don't know if the, and the, I will, the, the genre. I will be able to link it. Back. Yeah, after Star Wars came out, there's all this like space disco. You'd be like, "Well, this reminds me of Jim Jones." I hate to bring him up again. <laughs> it's like Jesus. Everything reminds me of Jim it. Jones. Um, everything reminds me of my daddy, Jim. I can't help it. Have you seen the Barbie movie? Is there a Jim Jones parallel there? I am actually going to see the Barbie movie of my fake mum and her daughter. So if I can find a Jim Jones reference, in, I'm probably the perfect person to send in looking for a Jim Jones reference because I will find it. You know how I feel about Jim Jones. I love well, it. I'm sure the Church of Scientology would frown on this parallel. So <laughs> Shelley was the sober yin to David's raging yank. So she was the only one who could calm him down. You know, and people yeah. would say that, like Shelley you would would put the check on his outburst. She was the only one who could actually intervene and calm him down. And she would try to be discreet. Like she would, um, you know, go over to him. A touch on the arm. Yeah, she'd go over to him and be like, let's just not do this. And there were times, this is an eyewitness here, that said when he'd hit somebody or kick them off of a chair, she would go and would go in for more to like stomp on him, like pro wrestler style. She would stomp him. It'd be like, you don't need to do this. Let's, let's go over here now. So she kind of had that like effect on him. And people claim that, you know, she was a decent human being. Like she encouraged staff, like the Sea Org staff and the, the staff that she, um, that, that she, that she uh, was uh, in charge of to volunteer and help the local community. She gave back to charities. Uh, when a Sea Org member fell ill, you know, she would make sure that that person is being cared for properly. Like, she definitely was a compassionate individual. And she mentored a lot of messenger girls, much like uh, Leah Remini. So that's why there was a bit of a connection there. And even those who disliked Shelly couldn't help but feel sorry for her because of just the situation she was in, you know? So by around 2004, I think Shelly was definitely stressed out. She was never sleeping. People saw that her personality became markedly different. Uh, she was often in a bad mood, which is weird because she never really was. Or if she was, you never was, you, you know, it wasn't visible. You never know. Um, but, you know, she, I think it was just the stress of living with this like ticking time bomb of a husband. 
you know, this power mad Napoleon. <laughs> I mean, the guy was kind of, the guy was crazy. Not to mention he had this like, you know, persecution complex. We didn't trust anybody. So, I, you know, the burden Did they have... must have weighed heavily on her. I know they're not shagging or sleeping in the same beds, but did they not at least have like, you know, the the child? No, Even they had, royal, you they know, no royal children. kings and queens who hated each other would have a child. They had no children, which is also kind of weird. Because they said she was somewhat maternal, but I think David Miscavige didn't want to have a child. Because, yeah, the attention would be off him, but you think he would want to sire an heir that he could, like, teach everything to. Yeah, you'd think so, or, like, mentor in his own image. Um, so the ex-Scientologist members, the people who defected, claim that in 2006, that's when Shelley crossed her husband for the very last time. So she had been working on a, on a top-secret Sea Org project um, where she was restructuring their organizational board. And people had tried this, but everybody failed because they just couldn't, couldn't meet David's requirements. Like, this guy was very commanding and, uh, or demanding, and he knew what he wanted, and uh, people just people failed consistently to try to reorganize the, uh, the to Sea Org to his expectations. So Shelley spent months, months drafting and redrafting and trying to like set up these are the people who I think should be the top executives in Sea Org. And he rejected every, every solution she gave him, every proposal she gave him. He rejected. And at this point, it's weird. They didn't even have communication with each other. He was living in uh, L.A. in the church's publishing unit. And she was living at uh, Intbase, which is out in Riverside. And so... After the last time he rejected one of her proposals, and no one really knows why, she decided she made an executive decision and she just went with it. And so she reorganized Sea Org without his approval and just did it. Oh, he's not going to be This man's not happy. And she informed everybody of their new titles and their new duties. So no, he wasn't Uh happy. And after he found out, it seemed to, to most people, insiders, that the First Lady of Scientology suffered an alarming fall from grace. So within days, Shelley's complete demeanor changed and she knew, you know, that her time was limited. Like she was living on borrowed time. And I guess she was very withdrawn and kind of sheepish. She was telling her staff, you don't need to take care of me anymore. I can make my own meals. And she wasn't speaking to anybody. She was, you know, completely isolated. And David wasn't even communicating with her at all at this point. Do you think she did all this on purpose to escape? Even if, like, right, even if she's, it's maybe not as dramatic as she's going to be murdered, but they're definitely going to, she maybe knows that they will disappear me and I'll, and it will be which, freedom. Which she knows happens because I'm sure she, like, was there when She'll, David made yeah. the executive decisions to disappear people. So maybe she was like, I would rather do that and continue living in this life with this absolute maniacal little twat. Well, by the end of 2006, she was stripped of all of her duties and she was shadowed by handlers all the time that worked for David. Even when she attended her father's funeral in August 2007, she had handlers with her knowing her every move. And then she vanished. So it was after that funeral, she she was just gone. And years passed. And people were like, What's going on with uh, with 
Miscavige. Like, uh, you know, this is what's going on with Shelly Miscavige. Even before she was at the wedding, she was already kind of, dis- she, she already disappeared from the public eye, like 2005, 2006. And the, the, the hallmark here, and this is what clued Leah Remini in that something weird was going on, is when uh, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes got married, David Miscavige was there, but no Shelly. And it was like a big yeah. affair. I mean, it was like Brooke Shields, Jim Carrey, Will Smith and Jada, David Beckham, David and Victoria were there. Like it seemed like it was like all the celebrities were there, but David Miscavige was by himself, which is odd. Yeah. So it was then that uh, Shelly or Leah started asking about Shelly, like what's going on. And so Leah Remini, which I, you know, I watched some of her show that, that was on A and E. I think it was called Scientology in the Aftermath. I kind of want to check it out. It, it sounds like it was. Uh, it it sounds pretty interesting and kind of thorough. I mean, it's like four seasons. But so when she was thirteen, she and her sister joined Sea Org, and they had to sign. They were forced to sign billion year contracts and work for their room and board <laughs> for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So. Kind of like they sort of grew up in Sea Org, much like Shelly Miscavige did. And Shelly was one of Leah's mentors. So when, uh, so when, when Shelly mysteriously disappeared, it was Leah Remini who started questioning people. And, uh, and I guess the church went to her and said, you have no fucking rank to question anything Calm that down, David Miscavige bitch. says. Yeah. And then they labeled her a suppressive person. And so she actually even tried to file a knowledge report that she said that David Miscavige and Tom Cruise and some other senior members engaged in behavior that was inconsistent with the church rules. And it was at that point they blackballed her and kicked her out. And they've done all sorts of crazy stuff, like harassed her and followed her, uh, tried to damage her credit. But the fact of the matter is, someone, but I'll I'll get past it. <laughs> well, the fact of the matter is, no one knows what happened to Shelley Miscavige, and it's uh, Leah Remini who speculates that she's at the secretive compound called Twin Peaks, also kind of near like the San Bernardino Mountains, east of L.A. I've heard about this Twin Peaks. Uh, I, you know what? I do love all the names for everything. It's it is like a, a secret government agency. Like the CIA isn't calling it Operation Twin Peaks. Well, they have all these different cool. names, you know, the different names for it, and they, like Gold Base and the Hole and uh, Tremontino. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how David Lynch feels about this. <laughs> about Twin Peaks? Yeah, I wonder why. He, well, I wonder I if like there's any scene. kind of connection there. Yeah, David Lynch is a hundred percent not a Scientologist. So they feel that David Miscavige is doing something with his wife. Like hiding her, not having her around. Like no one really knows exactly what's going on. Um, a former church Scientology official was on Leah Remini's show and he said that towards the end, like towards right before the disappearance, Shelley said, my husband's losing it and I'm scared. So something's going on, you know? Um, so after she vanished from public view in 2007, she had several beagles, five beagles actually, that she loved. The beagles are still at the int base at Gold Base and are being That's there good. and cared for, but no Shelly. So it had to have been kind of weird for her to leave her dogs behind. 
Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, you could not wrestle me away from Chi-Chi. Like, I will die if you take Chi-Chi away from me. So People say, like, she preferred animals to people and was crazy about those beagles. So that's kind of weird that she would just get up and leave them. Well, I don't think she got up and left them, did she? Yeah, something happened. So Remini filed a missing persons report with the LAPD in July 2013. And after the report was filed, LAPD looked into the case and they claimed that they spoke with Shelley Miscavige and that she's fine. And they said that her Leah Remini's report was unfounded and uh, they, they, uh, they closed the case. They said what Leah Remini was trying to do was make a publicity stunt for her show. Oh, fuck off, LAPD. I'd be like, I want evidence. Like, I want a video of Shelly speaking so you can confirm it's Shelly. Because if you just talk to a random woman over the phone and has gone, hi, it's Shelly here. Hi, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Tell her, you know, tell her I'm fine. Because that's not, fuck the LAPD. who would totally being paid off. Well, LAPD detective Gus Villaneva, he said that uh, he met with her in person. He couldn't say where or when. But uh, he's like, She's, she seemed fine to me. She was there on her own volition. So they closed the case. So Leah Remini said, this is a bullshit statement because I haven't seen her face and I'm calling bullshit on this. Yeah, I'm calling bullshit too. <laughs> so retired uh, detective Kevin Becker from LAPD's Hollywood division, he said the investigation was very poorly handled and he's spoken to insiders, detectives that, that were familiar with the case. And he said the LAPD fell way short on this one. Scientology spokespeople say, you know, Shelley's not a public figure and we ask her privacy to be respected. And that what Miss Remedy's trying to do is uh, make a publicity stunt. This is nothing more than a publicity stunt to promote her new show. And uh, their firm, they have a firm called Glassman Media Group, which is the law firm that represents the church. They said that that, that their claims are false and they haven't provided any evidence of Shelley's whereabouts because they don't want to dignify the preposterous allegations of Leah Remini. Miss Cabbage has never been missing and she's living the life that she chose to live. Is well, that true? A judge would have the power to say you have to provide the details to the court of where she is and I want to see footage of her to know she's alive. Why can't they provide that? Well, Remini and her co-host in the show, Mark Rinder, who is a former senior executive in the Church of Scientology, he was pretty high up, they feel that Shelley's being kept at CST, the Church of Spiritual Technology, which is a heavily fortified complex near Lake Arrowhead. It's about 90 minutes east of L.A. It's a 500-acre site, and it's also known as Twin Peaks Rim Forest, or CST is what, what a lot of people <laughs> call it. Forest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess this, uh, this it's, a, it's like a luxurious log cabin. It's a, it's a base for, it's a Scientology base, but there's a huge log cabin that's primed for L. Ron Hubbard's return because they think he, he's coming back. Like they think he went yeah. off to like with Xenu and the Scientology planet and he's going to come back eventually. And so, Any day now. Yeah, they have a log cabin that's ready for <laughs> Hubbard to come back to. It's got his favorite bed and his blankie and uh, his bathtub and all that. And then there's another structure 
that's designed to protect the church's VIPs in case of like a nuclear war. So there's a room for David Miscavige and Tom Cruise just in case, you know, Putin starts nuclear Armageddon. They can just go over there. So the only people who are allowed to go to Twin Peaks are a dozen or so Sea Org members. And and they consider it an honor to even be there. And there's armed guards, infrared cameras, electric fences surrounding the 500-acre property. And so the most prominent Scientologists, you know, in the church don't even know where it is. It's only Sea Org members that are aware or have ever even been to Twin Peaks. And they say that they would kill to work at this base. So the fact that that um, that Shelley is living there, it's kind of an honor. Like she should be honored that she even has the opportunity to live I at don't Twin think Peaks. She's but it's a good way for to have somebody disappear because you're completely off the grid there. No one can even get inside yeah, he, to see you. She was obviously becoming an SP, so you wouldn't send somebody who'd basically embarrassed the boss publicly. You wouldn't send them, although I mean, yeah, she's maybe being watched on an armed thing. Why? Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't ever want her to possibly escape and tell her story. Definitely, I think that's. I think that's one reason why they're keeping her under wraps and keeping her, you know, imprisoned. But at, no, at the, I think she's dead. Well, that's I don't another think, thing. That's what I don't Lenora, think you would keep her alive. I was talking to Lenora about that, and they're like, "Oh, they offed her. They totally killed her." But there's no evidence of that either. But there's no evidence that she's alive. I think it would make sense that David, you know, she's done something to really, really piss David off, who has a very, she knows exactly probably what would set him off. And maybe she did it deliberately, knowing that full well that he will kick me to death or he will beat me to death. And then I'll just, you know, they'll Osama bin Laden, my body into the ocean. If anyone could disappear a body, I think it's the Scientologists. Especially with all this property that they have that no one's allowed to go to, yeah. you know, to, 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 to check out. I mean, it's like this 500-acre compound is protected by, like, infrared cameras and, like, you know, electric fences. So, I mean, she could Good be buried look. anywhere. And what, if they'd killed her in 2007, the last time anyone saw her? I mean, her body out there in the desert would be just, like, what, bones by now under the ground. Or they could have cremated her. You know, who exactly. Knows? She's so, not alive. Tony Ortega, who's an ex-Scientologist, he's a journalist, he's written quite a bit on the church. He said, we're pretty positive that in 2005, after David had a, his blow up with her about the, the reorg that he didn't approve, he sent her up to Twin Peaks to be a non-person. They let her out for a couple of days for the father's funeral, summer 2007, and nobody's seen her since. And he's like, I'm 100% positive that she's still there. And I have sources that say that she's still there, but is not allowed to leave. But people Why? also say Shelly might be there, you know, and will stay at Twin Peaks for as long as is required of her. Be- not because she has to, but because she wants to. It's almost like a case of Stockholm Syndrome. Like she lives in this kind of weird, demented universe Completely devoted to the church, devoted to L. Ron Hubbard, probably also devoted to David. And that's the only life she's ever known. I mean, she's never but she, ever been independent. She's, she's not devoted to David, though. Her last actions show that she's not devoted to David. Maybe she, she thought she was doing the best, you know, the best thing. But I who don't knows? Think so. I mean, she's obviously scared of him. 
So the only other place that they think uh, she might be at is Trementina, which is this storage facility 200 miles north of Roswell, New Mexico. And it's here that they, it's, a, it's this base that's in a mountain. And if you look at the mountain from above, I'm going to post some pictures of the site. There's like a circle and diamond symbol carved into right. the mountain where you can yeah, see from space. And uh, that's where they're keeping all of uh, L. Ron's writings so it can be preserved for generations. And so the corporate logo of the church is carved into the ground to help the aliens when they come here and when Elrond comes back to find the base. <laughs> but there's more than 135 tons of books, stainless steel plates, and nickel-plated records that, uh, that are in, like a, in titanium capsules in this vault at, at They belong Trementina. in a museum. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just so fucking weird. Like, what other religions? I mean, all religions are pretty weird, but this one, come on. Like, this is like beyond, wish... co- it's like a cult with like billions of dollars. Yeah, I wish they would stop pretending they're a religion and just admit what they really are. Like, it's all just like high level money laundering so that the rich people can remain very, very rich and get even richer, whereas the rest of us cannot. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of sounds like that. It's, it's, it seems to me that it's just megalomania. It's like, you know, we're just, we just want to control people. We want to have power and we want to wield our influence. And like the exactly. fact that they would even infiltrate the IRS kind of shows you. That says it. Yeah, that, that yeah. There's, there's something more than just being a religion with this cult. Um, so now this is interesting. Um, so not only is Shelley like gone, vanished without a trace, disappeared from a uh, public eye, but recently so has David. No one's seen him. Yeah. Like this year, he hasn't been seen publicly. And he used to be the face of the organization. So lawyers have been trying to serve David Miscavige papers on a child trafficking case. So he's been, he's been, they've been trying to serve a court summons to him um, for 27 times they've tried uh, on this child trafficking case, but they can't find him. And they're looking for him. Um, so there is a suit, I guess, bought by former members, uh, church members in the U.S. court. There are three plaintiffs who used to belong to Sea Org who alleged that they were forcing the church's kids. They had to sign this one billion year contract. They had to work into adulthood for no pay and that they were abused. And uh, there's one yeah. woman's name is Valeska Paris. There's another um, married couple, Gawain and Laura Baxter. And so they filed this complaint against the Church of Scientology as well as Sea Org about a decade ago. And so lawyers have hired process servers to try to find Miscavige, Mr. Uh, David Miscavige 27 times over the past four months, and they haven't been able to find him. They've looked in Clearwater, Florida, which is their other major base. They've looked in uh, buildings in Los Angeles, and no one knows where he is. And security guards are He's like... He's in England. Possibly. He could be at a, at a, um, in Sussex. So security so. guards have just refused the documents because they're like, we don't know where he is. So it's interesting because he's kind of disappeared. So is he with Shelley? I mean, who knows what's going on? Um, church's, uh, the church's public affairs director, uh, Karen Powell, said, oh, Mr. Cav- Ms. Cavage is not running from the law. He's just very busy right now. You know, he's, he's, he's the leader the of an international though. organization. It's like, uh, okay, really? Um, Tony Ortega, 
who's a Scientology watchdog, said that he thinks he may have gone to ground um, to avoid being served in a myriad of pending cases. Not only is this trial trafficking case, but the Danny Masterson case from last year, oh, the rape trial. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, was, yeah. Uh, he was supposed to be a witness to that one. So, I mean, I don't know. There's a number of civil suits right now against the uh, Church of Scientology, and he's just hiding out, which is similar to what L. Ron Hubbard did when he went and when he became the Commodore on the boat in the Apollo in international waters to avoid the FBI. Do they still have the boat? I don't know what happened to the boat. They must still have a boat. I bet he's either there or he's in Sussex. It's like the two places where you'd be like, yeah, we can't be bothered to go like that far looking for him. But, you know, maybe if some bigger allegations come out, like he's tied to a murder of his wife, we would go looking for him then. Well, so what's, what's interesting is there's a definite parallel, not to Jim Jones, but to, uh, to L. Ron Hubbard here and David Miscavige. So apparently L. Ron Hubbard abandoned his wife, his third wife, uh, Mary Sue, and never saw her again after 1982. He turned her into a pariah. She was excommunicated by the church, and she was kept in a house where they reported her on her every day to David Miscavige. She but was, she was, well, was seen, though. She was previously a major power in uh, Scientology, but she took the fall for the organization after the whole Operation Snow White came out, where they tried to infiltrate the IRS. So she took the fall, and uh, she served a, a year in prison, actually, for that. And then was in house okay. arrest for several years in L.A. And uh, it was at that point that uh, L. Ron Hubbard denounced her Completely abandoned her, never saw her again, but yet she was still kept under watch and wraps by the church, which seems to kind of be the case here with Shelley Miscavige. Now, the weird Maybe. thing is there's no successor lined up. So I don't know who's running the church currently, if David's not around or if Tom he's Cruise. doing it from behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't know if Tom Can Cru- it be Tom, Tom Cruise? Cruise is busy. I mean, He's busy, but I would accept Tom Cruise as the leader. And I think it would be good for the church to have Tom Cruise as the leader. Because it's kind of like when Arnie became governor. It, it's like a natural step. Like, California should have the Terminator as, like, the governor. So it should be, Tom Cruise should become the leader of the Church of Scientology. I think that'd be wonderful for him. I think yeah, it's everything he's ever wanted. Tom Cruise is kind of whack, too, so I don't know if that would give more credibility or if it would damage the Church's already questionable reputation. I don't think he's as whacked as a, as some, as David or any of the other ones. I don't think he's any as evil. Vipers. I don't think he's as evil as David, but he's definitely kind of mental. I mean, I, well, I mean you have some to be. crazy shit. If you're in the Scientologist, I mean, I think it's already confirmed that you're a little bit mental, a wee bit. Well, wee bit nutso. people are saying that there's hints that Tom Cruise has been distancing himself from the church and that their numbers are dwindling. So I, I don't know, like, what the future holds for the Church of Scientology. I'm hoping it's declared to be a cult. And they either have to give up all that real estate they have in L.A. Because I would love some. I mean, they should turn that into an apartment building. Um, Or, you know, they should at least pay property tax to the city. I mean, I think that I think it's only fair. Um, But who knows? I mean, no one knows what's happened to David Miscavige. I mean, they're trying to to, to serve him. And Shelly Miscavige, I mean, 
she hasn't been seen for over like 10 years. And people say, She's you know, dead. maybe is she there on her own, you know, volition, our own will? No one really knows. Um, but the question is, will this be the straw that breaks the camel's back? If they find David Miscavige and he has to like, you know, go to prison for child trafficking, especially if they find out that there's any kind of sexual abuse, the church is done at that point. I no, the church is most certainly not done because how long has the Catholic Church been going and how many allegations of sexual abuse in the but, Catholic Church has continued on? All that the next leader will do is say that David ran the church improperly and it but, won't happen on my watch. It's like any fascist leader after another fascist leader. But the leader. Catholic Church, you know, has generations of credibility. I mean, it's been around for centuries. Scientology, people already think is whacked, and it's only been around for the, a few decades, and they have a lot of issues with the FBI. You know, their, their reputation isn't great already, and then you, you throw in, like, child sex trafficking? I think it could really damage it. And the only other thing that I think would definitely damage it is if they find Shelly Miscavige and she opens her mouth and says what's really going on. Oh, well, I don't think that's going to happen. She's been Jimmy Hoffard, for sure. She knows where all the bodies are buried. So maybe she's dead, maybe she's still alive, maybe we'll find her and we'll get some answers. Remains to be seen. Uh, people, this is episode 907 here, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs three for a little inspiration plus a free extra gift so sensual we can't even mention it on the radio (laughs) and to top it all off we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order and no we're not teasing so check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer get 50% off one item when you type diddle for the offer code upon checkout when you do you'll get three free DVDs a free extra gift and free shipping. Just use offer code DIDDLE at adamandeve.com. It's Kate Rambo. we got a couple of phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. Uh, you can also email the show. Just send us an MP3, sickroompodcast at gmail.com. So the first call we got here is from a longtime listener, Callie, who I believe she lives in Texas <sighs> and... She yeah. knows quite intimately uh, the app that we talked about last week, Covenant Eyes, the anti-masturbation app. And so yeah. she wanted to share her experience, experience with it. She said, Christians will do everything to avoid getting in trouble besides just doing the right thing. So uh, she called Great in about analogy. it. Hi, Dee. Hi, Kate. Hi, goons of sick and wrong. <laughs> This is Callie. I like goons of sick and wrong. I do too. To uh, so I'm listening to this week's episode and y'all talked about covenant eyes. I wanted to call in because I actually work at the IT help desk for my college and we see this pretty frequently. Um, so I go to a pretty like 
politically conservative college in South Texas. Um, and we're definitely like in the Bible Belt here in the U.S. Um, so a lot of the churches around the area like to convince their male congregants to download Covenant Eyes. Um, at the help desk, we primarily see it on laptops, but I'm guessing it's on their phones as well. Um, Would you make fun of people if they came in, they had Covenant Eyes on their phone? I'd be like, you're not allowed to wank. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure she might get fired, but oh yeah, that would that would be me. I'd be like, how do you, how do you come on? Do you just like rub up against a pillow? What do you do? Come I'd on, be like, tell me. wanking makes baby Jesus cry. But I'm guessing when these churches tell their you know congregants to download this stuff, they're not expecting that it's going to cause conflict with their work in school. Uh, but it does. <laughs> um, so basically, it's just a security concern for the network administrators to not be able to monitor traffic in any way. So they essentially just block any other software that's going to be any traffic monitoring. Um, it's pretty standard for business, really, um, or at least, you know, big enterprise business. But anyway, um, they'll come in for help getting rid of it. And I have to imagine. I mean, you'd think it'd be considered spyware. Like, I I couldn't imagine our IT team. I think being we cool. talked about that. Yeah, but I couldn't imagine uh, the IT team at my my work being like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put monitoring software on one of our applications." Like, that's not gonna happen, like, especially if it's I you know, if, if it's a school provided phone or tablet. Yeah, I wonder if there will become laws outlawing it in the next couple of years. Well, the fact the fact that it exploits like accessibility software like the software for disabled people i mean <laughs> that seems to have like a bit of an ethical quandary going on there yeah that these churches in the area just think yeah because i'm guessing these congregants go back to their pastors and they report what happened and you know i have to imagine they think that the university is run by the devil because <laughs> you know covenant nice is so pure and why would they want to block that but anyway so what typically happens is I'll start troubleshooting with someone, you know, they've brought in their laptop, they say the Wi-Fi is not working, or the exam proctoring software isn't working, or so they think. Um, and I'll start looking and I'll start ruling out possible, you know, problems. And then I'll find covenant eyes and I'll tell them, you know, this is it. <laughs> this is the problem. And I wonder how often uh, Callie looks at someone's search history and it's like, what the fuck? You need covenant yeah. eyes, dude. What you're looking at, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! I, I bet you she's seen some pretty crazy shit. What I'd like to know: Have you ever found like CP on someone's computer? On some, you're not looking at Kate well, Rambo's no, computer, but right. Firstly, it was just a meme. It's just a Jean-Benet <laughs> Ramsey meme. But secondly, she would have to report the shit out of that, wouldn't she? That's you know that's how Gary Glitter got caught. Was he at like a Best Buy or something? He took his computer to PC World and he said to them, because like he'd obviously downloaded fucking dodgy CP, and he said to them, don't look on the hard drive. Well, as soon as he said that, they were like, well, now we fuck well, it's now, now a legal issue that we have to look on your hard drive. And that's how he got fucking caught. Did the same thing happen to Hunter Biden? Like that dumbass went and took his computer to like a Best Buy and was just like had all these like, you know, uh, personal financial documents on it. And I'm sure yeah, questionable porn, that guy. Well, what porn is questionable? So if Hunter Biden wants to 
smoke cocaine and look at midgets licking each other's toes, then, you know, that's his God-given right as an American. He's an American hero. And the other thing, too, about him is he's not an elected official. I didn't vote for that motherfucker. So I don't really care. As long as he's not looking at CP, I don't really give a shit what kind of porn he's wanking to. What I always think is hilarious is they always go in for Hunter Biden, and it's like, right, if we're going to talk about the children of these presidents, I think we all know who has the weirdest fucking child. (laughs) Yeah. I think you know who the fuck it is. That fucking little (laughs) incel. He's he's not even autistic. He's just his own alien entity. Who, Trump's son? Baron. Yeah, Baron. Yeah, I don't know. Baron. Look at Don Jr. too. I mean, all the president's kids. Don Jr. is affable, at least, and can hold a conversation. That guy's such a cunt. Baron is, I think, from another fucking planet and has been sending it to spy on us. I think Baron has autism. There's something off about that Oh, no, there's something way worse about him. And they're like, don't. Oh, he's just a child. Don't pick on him. I'm like, well, if you're going to pick on Hunter, we could pick on all of them, you dicks. You know, the kids should be off limits. I mean, people tried to pick on Obama's kids. It's just like, just let them, let them be, you know? it's Go like, to school. They didn't ask for their dad to become president. But I mean, come on. Hunter at least is like, I would go for a pint with Hunter any day. You know, you're going to have some fun. He's going to say something funny. I would go for a pint with uh, Don Jr. He's affable. Baron, I I think he's like the Antichrist and like the Omen music starts <laughs> playing as soon as he walks in the door. You know, I'm sure Trump Jr. The thing is, Trump Jr., I think he'd just be a dick to hang out with. Whereas Hunter Biden, you know that guy parties. You're going to get up to something that's going to be memorable. He does. It's going to be memorable. There's going to be hookers. There's going to be a lot of cocaine and probably a lot of top shelf booze. I think I would have a good time with Hunter Biden. But I know with... With Don Jr., he's just going to be, like, arrogant and bragging about everyone he knows, like, what his dad can do. And it's like, I'm sure there's going to be cocaine, really good cocaine, but he probably would make sure it's like, no cameras, you got signed an NDA, whereas Hunter Biden's like, I don't give a shit. Let's go run a fucking, (laughs) yeah, let's go run a suite, you know, at the fucking Hilton, get some hookers and blow. You know, and just fill it to the White House. Let the cameras watch. (laughs) Yeah, that guy doesn't give a shit. Them will like look at me with like panic in their eyes because they know that they've got to go ask their keeper for you know (laughs) (laughs) the password. (laughs) Uh, But then some of them will kind of just look at me and say, "Well, can you get rid of it?" (laughs) And really, the only way to get rid of it is just to you know reinstall Windows. Um, And some of them opt for that; they're okay with it. Well, you have to completely wipe the drive in order to get rid of that software. That's crazy. That is crazy. They've got to outlaw this, and it's it is spyware. it's invasive. It goes against sure. your human rights. Well, it's invasive, but I mean, I think you you voluntarily sign up for it. That's what that's the difference. Well, I don't think a twelve year old has a concept. But their parents, so their that's guardians what I'm saying. do. And some of them, I feel bad. Will kind of walk away, almost like a dog with their like tail between their legs, because oh. they know they've got to go ask for permission. Um. Anyway, that's just a story I wanted to share about Covenant Eyes. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Later. Ah, good to hear from you, Callie. Nice. You know, awesome call. I think I've stumbled upon a good side hustle for her. She should be like the anti-Covenant Eyes. Like, you can go to her and get it uninstalled. Like, she, right. can, <laughs> like she can go I in there and I would even do like, it where I would charge as little as five dollars because i'd be like this is a charity this is a charitable act basically what i'm doing so if you just give me five books or like buy me a pizza well do you remember the people that used to be able to like hack your phone 
And so, yeah, yeah. yeah, you could use any SIM card. She should be doing that. She's like, you know, I'm the anti-covenant eyes. She'll like hack it and free you from this like invasive software so you can wank to your heart's content without getting busted by your keeper. And she's really doing the Lord's work now. Yeah. <laughs> Not all heroes wear capes. Uh, thank you, Callie, for calling in. It's good to hear from you. Uh, next call is from a celebrity who I guarantee does not have Covenant Eyes installed on his phone. Well, hello, Dee. Hello, Kate. It's Tom Jones calling. Tom Jones. I've called in a long time. Uh, reason being, uh, I know, last October time, I started, you know, getting bad guts and shit and blood and all of that kind of fucking shit. Uh, Tom Jones, no. And then, turns out, I got Crohn's disease. So straight off the bat, Tom I'm Jones. not Tom Jones anymore. I'm Tom Crohn's. God, oh, Tom Crohn's. I guess we could Tom call Crohn's, him Tom no. Crohn's now. You know, this is the third person I've met that has Crohn's disease. And the weird, recently, the weird thing is like, so when you have IBS, not everybody is very open about it. Like not everyone's like, oh, I got IBS, got to run to the bathroom. You know, people don't say it. But with Crohn's disease, people don't seem to like really be you know, shy about broadcasting that. Like I work well, with- Because I think it's debilitating, two, isn't it? Yeah, but you're still what, shitting out blood. It's like, I don't want to have that mental image. You could just say, hey, you know, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, that, that's all you have to say is I have to go to the bathroom. You don't I've, have to be like, I got Crohn's disease, bathroom for the fifth time today. It's like it's fucking gross, dude. That's gross. Yeah, it's not like I'm keeping count on how many times you go to the bathroom. Anyways, just like do your work. I don't give like I don't give a shit about how many shits you take. But I think once you've kind of shit yourself in a public place a number of times, any embarrassment or any kind of like social normity you have about your bowels kind of disappears. Yeah, I think that's pretty. I mean, your like sister, sister shit herself at thirty thousand feet in the sky on a man. Like Stephanie you, also just, is... you get over it. I don't know how many cabs Stephanie has shit herself in the backseat of, but I mean a lot and she doesn't even care, but that's my sister. I'm just saying like people that I work with, I don't want to know about their bowel proclivities. Like I'm, I'm cool with not knowing about that. Um, I for ages used to like not eat in like the company work rooms, break rooms, because I would work with a lot of men generally. And men will just like fart and burp while they're eating. And like, I'd, I would be the person who would just be like, I would slam down whatever I was eating and I would just get up and go walk away. Cause like, <laughs> I, I cannot physically eat in these Wait, conditions. Who's farting they're not while they're eating? They is would do normal? both. But is that like a North just of England both. thing? No, it's just like a working with disgusting people type thing, like where they have no rules. And I would be the first person, like they used to always call me moody. It's like, right, I don't want to be eating while you're fucking farting in the same room. Like, where have you been raised? Did you get raised in a fucking barn with barn animals? No. Yeah, but they're not farting on your food, are they? Just even farting in the same room while I'm trying to eat is absolutely disgusting. And I just won't stand for it. At your previous job, did people be like, hey, Rambo? Like, did that happen a lot? <laughs> no, not my Pull my finger. Job, but the job before that was worse. Ah, that's so um, gross. It is gross. It is very gross. Well, Tom Crohn's, I'm sorry to hear about your recent ailment. Um, that's, that, oh, God, it's terrible. Him. So, uh, yeah, well, I've been catching up on the podcasts because I've been bad as fuck in and out of hospital and all that kind of shit. Now I'm kind of better, but, you know, I've just got to not drink so much no more 
I can't have Vindaloo's. And I gotta inject myself in the guts to stop me fucking shitting myself to death. Oh. Anyway, I hope you guys are okay. Um, yes, yeah, we can catch up on the show. Fucking loving it, guys. Loving it. Um, so I've had to turn my life around because of the Crohn's disease. So um, I've been on a mad fitness thing the last couple of months. Started doing martial arts. D, I've been doing the martial arts of your people and doing Krav Maga uh, with me and one of my mates. You know, I think, Kay Rambo, you should do that to protect yourself against the homeless. Just start doing Krav Ma- Maga. You know why I'm going to do it? There was a, a resurgence of Krav Maga in like the mid-2000s, I remember it. But it's also what Paris Geller does on the Gilmore Girls. Oh, she has Krav Maga? Krav Maga. Yeah, it's very much up her street. And I just think I'd be good at it as well, just doing like power moves on I mean, people. It's, it's being definitely... competitive while doing it. It's definitely a thing in LA. I see, uh, you know, I, I see these Krav Maga and Jiu Jitsu places like all around here. So, yeah, you could you should sign up, be a badass. Homeless people aren't gonna fuck with you. But you do have to touch them though. I would rather do the martial arts where it's like I can kick you in the head and you'll be on the floor. I don't want to be like doing prolonged grasping. Yeah, grappling. Of the homeless. It's gross. Yeah. Because then you're be gonna get that. the smell on your hands. Ugh. Oh, and the Mercer. Fucking life's going pretty good. So anyway, last weekend, my first fucking, you know, proper drink and drug session in, you know, best part of like nine or ten months. Real quick, could you imagine doing Krav Maga with somebody who has Crohn's disease? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that could, I mean, seriously, I would have, I would have issues with that because I'd be like, at, at any moment's notice, he could explode. I wonder if there's any UFC fighters that have really bad IBS and that regularly shit themselves when you're fighting them and they use it to their advantage. Yeah, I mean, it could be, they could weaponize it. You could weaponize it. You, you know, could. it's kind of like sand. If you throw sand in the in your eyes, instead it's just you <laughs> bend over, splatter, and then next thing you know, ka you knock them out. Gross. Me and some of my uh, friends, there's some magic mushrooms, a little bit of cocaine, like, and... Um, quite a lot of fucking beer and me and my mate who do Krav Maga uh, decided to have a little bit of a fucking fight and I can't remember nothing of this anyway fucking really good night I hadn't spoke to anyone uh, I w- refuse to hang out with people like that I mean, I, I what, told who wants this... to do Krav Maga when you're drunk I would totally be up to it we used I to do wrestling not... moves on each other I am not fighting with somebody <laughs> especially someone with Crohn's but I'm, d- I'm not I don't want to do that I want to drink my beer and hang out maybe listen to music Maybe do a little bit of dance. Yeah. I'm not here to fight you. I don't want to fight you. I don't want to wrestle with you. I have friends that do Dude. that, and I know people that do that, and it annoys the shit out of me. As I say, you've never been outside on a British summer's night where maybe you've all gathered around at somebody's house at 4 o'clock to have a barbecue, and then by the time the sun starts setting and the music starts coming on, that's when you're like, just let me choke slam you. Just let me choke slam you through the patio table because I'll buy you a new set. It'll be hilarious. Let me do it. And then that's how it starts. I remember I've, I've told this story on the podcast several times, but whatever, you're going to have to hear it again. Um, I was dating this girl. She was a Pilates instructor and she lived in Fremont, California, which is like in 45 minutes east of the of, uh the city of San Francisco. And so I went out there and I was hanging out with her. It's kind of rural. And so she had a bunch of like dudes and they're all wearing like tap out shirts. Like they're all like big UFC fans. And, uh, 
we're just drinking and hanging on the house. I'd never met any of them. They're all her friends that she grew up with. And so we're just chatting. And uh, the one dude's like, you want to do some, uh, some uh, MMA? And I didn't know what that meant. I thought he said MDMA. And I was like, yeah, yeah totally, dude. I'm down. And he's like, all right, we're probably going to go outside. I was like, well, we could do it here. He's like, nah, let's just, we're all going to go outside and do some, uh, some MMA. And I was like, all right, you got some good shit? And he's just like, he kind of looked at me. He was just like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And so I went outside with them thinking that they had like MDMA that we were going to do. But no, they, they like started like grappling with each other. I'm like, wait a second. Where's the MDMA? They're like, MMA. I was like, MDMA. And he was just like, no, MMA. I was like, what the fuck is MMA? Is that something? Is it like MDMA? He was just like, no, what, what's MDMA? I was like, it's like Molly, like ecstasy. I thought that's what you guys have. He's like, no, mixed martial arts, bro. And I was like, you know, I'm going inside. I'm going inside. I'm going to hang out with the women. Yeah, I'd be like, I am now annoyed until somebody brings me some MDMA. I will not hang out with you. I, mean, I had never heard, this was like, I mean, this is probably 2005. I had never yeah, heard yeah. that term before, even MMA, yeah. you know. I, I think it was kind of a relatively new term at the time. Afterwards, but I bumped into my mate then this week in Krav Maga, and he shows me his yurt, which was fucking black. And I, I, when I say black, I, I, I mean fucking black. Like, uh, I, I somehow clouted him in the fucking head, and he's got a black yurt. You know, I've seen black eyes, I've seen bruised lips, but I've never seen a black yurt. A black what? Yeah. Oh, he said black ear. I, was, I thought How he was saying a black. Him? I thought he said a black yurt. Um, and I was just like, what's, what, why would he have a black yurt? Like, this doesn't seem to make any sense. All right. Black ear. Okay. I love it. The Welsh is my Whoa, favorite. It's so musical. <laughs> it is a cool very accent. Very musical people, those yeah. black Welsh. <laughs> very musical people. I like it better than the Liverpudlian accent. Fuck yeah. I can't remember doing it, but uh, it just goes to show. I, know I must be hard as fuck in my fucking Cronesy. So, um... A bit of a pointless phone call, really. I didn't know why I'm fucking phoning you guys. I don't. Yeah, this I'm is like pointless. the Swede calling in bragging about kicking someone's ass. Does it? Wait, Swede, do you ever use the Crohn's technique? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to fucking touch base with you all and let you know I ain't fucking dead. And I'm back listening to the show. I've got loads of fucking shit stories I can tell you about. <laughs> I bet. And I'm thinking of fucking ringing back up with some of my fucking... Tales from my more hedonistic years. So, um, yeah, I'll be back in touch soon, guys. Fucking much love. Ah, well, you know, it's good to hear from you, Tom Crones. Now we have a new, yeah. uh, a new name for you, which I think works pretty well. Uh, but, yeah, definitely call us in. I'm going to hear some more drug stories, some of the, the hedonistic stories of your youth. Um, I'm glad but- they caught the Crones before they started having to cut out parts of his bowels. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm, you know, it sucks that you have to deal with it, but I'm glad you're taking care of it. Uh, people call the sticker on hotline 323-522-4032. Uh, big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon and, uh, and on Apple Podcasts. We do really appreciate that. You're the ones that keep the show going. Um, sign up today, patreon.com slash sticker wrong, or just subscribe via your Apple Podcast app. Uh, also, if you want to buy some merch, we do have some, uh, some, some designs, some cool designs that will uh, definitely get you laid, even if you have Crohn's. Uh, stickeronpodcast.com slash shop. Just click on the picture of the Pope and, uh, and uh, yeah, go buy yourself some merch. Uh, 
A Sigurong Song of the Week, I found something very appropriate. So Scientologists released several albums. Like Elron Hubbard released like a space jazz record. It's so terrible. It's so terrible. Yeah. I saw it the other day at a record store and I was like, I wonder if this is cool. And I listened to a couple songs on YouTube and I was like, holy shit. Like it's, it's so like bad. It's like elevator music. Well, kind of like yeah. prog. Like it's even like the worst yeah. kind of prog you could ever hear. Like prog jazz is what it was. It was like it was like yes, but even worse than yes. Um so anyway, they, but they released several albums. They had their own publishing company. And one of the records that they put out was an album called The Road to Freedom. It was an album came out in 1986 by L. Ron Hubbard and Friends. And the friends he's talking about are John Travolta, Chick Corea, Leif Garrett, Frank Stallone, and the actress Karen Black. And they made this song called The Road to Freedom, which is all about like how you can become free through auditing. And it's like Travolta I've singing. I've Karen Black was, was in all this. Yeah, I've heard this before. Yeah. Yeah. It was produced by the Church of Scientology in the recording studio, Golden Era Productions. And the church says the album achieved its gold record within four months of its release. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I bet. Uh, the album was uh, published, published by Revenimus, Music Publishing, uh, which also produced the other album, Mission Earth, which was completely written by L. Ron Hubbard and performed by Edgar Winter, who's a big, crazy Scientologist. Oh. You, you know Edgar Winter? I didn't actually kind of, know that. Yeah, of course, he's a freak. He looks like a I, fucking like, zombie. I never actually knew that. Like some kind of weird zombie. Yeah, that like makes sense. White Walker creature or something. But yeah, I guess, I guess he's, he's super He's albino. Yeah, that record did not hit gold. So anyway, we're going to end the show here. Um, with The Road to Freedom by John Travolta, Frank Stallone, Leif Garrett, and Lee Purcell. Uh, people will be back next week with uh, episode 908. Till then, take it sleazy. You're in.
I'm asking is, hey, Scientology, you make hundreds of videos, you spend millions of dollars on websites attempting to discredit and slander whistleblowers' names. Why not just prove me wrong, put this thing to rest, have Shelly do a video, tell me to go fuck myself. Because guess what, Scientology? It wouldn't be like a ha-ha gotcha moment. At least I knew the woman, the woman was alive. Right. That's and, all and I let, want to know. Secondly, and, me, and then we could go to work to trying to see if she, you know, is, is being held against her will. Because as you yeah. reported, Shelly Miscavige was rumored to be up in Arrowhead, California. 